It's a safe bet you haven't heard that music before. It's from a beer symphony composed and played by music students in Zurich to celebrate 100 years of the Swiss Brewers Association last year. Beer, of course, is pretty well the same the world over, and it's made essentially of four main ingredients, yeast, water, hops and barley. So we began our overall look at beer by finding out something about these four items, and first we asked John Lacey of the Guinness Research Laboratory to tell us what yeast is. Well, yeast is a, <clears throat> it's a very tiny, single-celled organism, and it belongs to the plant kingdom. And to give you some idea of its tiny size... If I had an ounce of yeast, I would have a hundred thousand million cells. And what does it live on? Uh, yeast will always be found wherever there's sugary material around. So you'll find it on the surface of ripe fruits. You'll find it in, on, in vineyards and the soil in orchards and in the nectar and flowers. And of course, you'll find it in breweries. What's its function in the brewing of beer? Its function in the brewing of beer is that it converts uh, sugar into carbon dioxide and alcohol. And what happens when it's converted uh, all the sugars into carbon dioxide and alcohol? When all the sugars are converted, the brewer then will set about taking off that yeast from the brew. Uh, he'll keep some of it back for the next brew, and uh, the remaining yeast then is surplus yeast. Two things. What happens to the surplus yeast? Well, the surplus yeast is generally treated and dried and sold for um, yeast extract or animal feed and various other things. John, what happens to the small amount of yeast you keep back from each brew? Well, that small amount is used to seed the next brew. And, of course, yeast uh, has a fantastic multiplication rate. If I give you an example, uh, in this small bottle here, if I take a very small fraction of that and put it into some um, sterile wort, uh, in 24 hours you can see that it has grown to produce about a gram of yeast. Yes, it's covered the, whole, the bottom of, of, of yes. that particular little vessel. Uh, if I uh, subculture that stage further, inside another 24 hours, I now have 10 grams of yeast. And that's because the yeast cells are feeding on the sugars in that wort. Yes. The, <clears throat> the yeast cell can multiply at the rate of um, about once every two hours uh, a new generation will be formed under ideal conditions. And if I inoculate that still further, um, inside of 11 days I can end up with 21 tonnes of yeast. From the tiny drop you've taken out of that From bottle. the minuscule portion of yeast that you saw me start with. Well, does anything ever go wrong with your yeast culture? Does it fail to multiply or over-multiply, for in instance? Well, sometimes it may be a sluggish in fermentation. It may not be performing as fast as we would like to perform. And in that case, I can introduce uh, a new culture of that yeast into the brewery. Now, I do this from um, a large collection of uh, Guinness yeasts that I've collected over the years. And... This Guinness um, yeast bank contains um, all types of variations of Guinness yeast, and so we can uh, pick one which best suits the plant. Well, John Lacey, you've been uh, working with yeast, and it seems to be your, your whole job here is to be in charge of the yeast cultures. Mm. How long have you been doing this? I've been doing it now for nearly 40 years, and 
I know yeast almost personally. Uh, I know by looking at them under the microscope whether they're <coughs> unwell or unhappy, and uh, I can then set about um, making them happy again. They sound almost like pets. They do, in a way. Um, I have, as I say, hundreds of them in the collection, and uh, I know um, what they should look like if they're healthy. And Guinness is brewed overseas. Do you use yeast from here to do that? Yes, from this uh, collection, um, <clears throat> we can select strains which perform um, well in an overseas situation. And so we have a particular strain of Guinness which we supply to our overseas breweries. And uh, this is a very fast fermenting yeast, and it uh, suits the conditions overseas very well. It gives them a very quick turnaround of vessels. But uh, more important, it still produces the Guinness flavor, so that no matter what country in the world Guinness is brewed, uh, the yeast will um, provide the uh, Guinness flavor in the end product. Next comes water. If you use the wrong water in brewing, then you'll ruin the brew and probably the brewer. So what kind of water does a brewer need? Pat Early is technical director of Murphy's Brewery in Cork. Depends on the beer one is making. For, in, for instance, an Irish stout, a, a soft water is ideal for producing one. And the waters of Cork are one of the purest available very low mineral content, ideally suited to making a characteristic Irish stout. So the water coming into this brewery at the moment, without any treatment at all, is suitable for making Murphy's stout? Yes. Now what about your other products, ales and lagers? For our other products, for instance, an ale, a typical ale, is better made from a hard water, like the waters of Burton, and it is our wont then to simulate a typical Burton type of water by the addition of the minerals to bring it to that constitution. So the minerals that are missing from the water you then put in? Exactly. And what about lager? Lager lager needs very little treatment and the waters of cork have been found by our principles Heineken to be quite suitable for making a very good lager. Do you think that that might have been one of the reasons why the brewery was cited here in the first instance? I would think so, especially for Stout production. Hops come next, and although Irish brewers have to import almost all their hops, a small quantity is grown in Kilkenny and used in brewing here. Pat Moss is involved in the Kilkenny operation and explains the background to hop growing in Ireland. We started in 1962 um, with, with three quarters of an acre of trial and went into it commercially in 1965 uh, and put in a hop picking machine and drying kilns. Uh, the crop is, is um, grown in eight-foot rows. Uh, it's very tall and, and um, it, it's grown under 15 or 18-foot wire work. Uh, they suffer quite a lot from disease and have to be sprayed every eight to ten days. Uh, against powdery mildew or downy mildew and uh, they get severe attacks of aphids and we spray from May till uh, late August. Uh, we start harvesting uh, approximately the 10th or so of September which takes um, about three weeks 
um, the old days they, they were harvested by hand uh, and the machine we have would, does the equivalent amount of work of about 350 people with a staff of 30 um, we dry them and um, they're put into uh, two, 100 kilo pockets uh, and then um, sold to Guinnesses uh, on a th- three year contract uh, which is renewable each year for three years Yeast, water, hops, and lastly, barley. From a home product point of view, barley is by far the most important ingredient in brewing. In Ballinacurra, County Cork, there's a cereal station where a great deal of work is done on barley. The station director is Barry Devlin, and we asked him if it's the brewer who decides what kind of barley should be grown for the brewing industry. Yes, I think that is correct. The brewer does decide what type of barley is produced for and his needs and it, the maltster. And the maltster. So there are three, three people involved, yes. brewer, maltster and barley grower. Yes. What are the characteristics that the brewer would look for in barley? Well, he likes uh, barley that is capable of producing a high extract, a low nitrogen content in the grain and in the malt, and a low malting loss. And can the Irish barley grower do this precisely for him? Yes, better than growers anywhere else. I see. Do Irish uh, farmers provide all the barley used by Irish brewers? Yes, as far as I know, there has never been uh, imports of barley from Malden. Never in this country? Well, to the best of my knowledge. Is Irish barley particularly good from the brewer's point of view? It is, yes. It does satisfy the requirements. Well, can can you tell us why this is so? For instance, is it soil or weather or perhaps a number of characteristics, a number of reasons? Well, malting barley is produced in certain areas and these areas uh, usually have light soil. You could describe them as maritime areas and I think this is certainly a factor. And weather? Uh, Weather, yes. uh, Good summers... Good seasons certainly improve the quality of the malting barley. Would you have any idea the total acreage under brewing malting barley at the moment in this country? Uh, I would think in excess of 100,000 acres. And the value of that to Irish barley growers would be what? Well, uh, 100,000 acres at a yield of somewhat less than two tonne per acre and at a price of 100, approximately £100 per tonne, I think you could say about £20 million. I hope my calculations are correct. This station here at uh, Bananacara, when did it start up? A, on, on the first day of the century, I think. The, that would be the 1st of January 1901. And who owns it? It's a, the station is a, owned by... J.H. Bennett and Company, and who are a subsidiary of Guinness. And it is operated, it's run by the Department of Agriculture in conjunction with... Is a, that a 50-50 Guinness, arrangement? A 50-50 arrangement. And in brief, what's your function in this station? Our function is to uh, produce improved varieties for the malting and brewing industry. And have you had any recent successes? Well, uh, our, the variety Emma is the the variety that uh, dominates the acreage under malting barley at the present time, and before that, the variety hunter. 
And was, were, were they developed here at this station? They're both uh, developed here, bred by the Department of Agriculture here. When you produce a strain like Emma, say, uh, do you have a copyright on that? Uh, do you, is it illegal for anybody else there to produce it? Uh, no, that uh, not at the present time, but legislation will shortly be introduced to uh, provide such a copyright for varieties that we may be lucky enough to produce. Before the barley is used in brewing, it has to go through the process of malting. So we talked to Matt Minch, who is executive chairman of Malsters Minch Norton Limited, and we asked him, what is malt? Well, I think that's a very difficult thing to say, for me to say, because there's been a, a committee set up by the European Trade to try and decide uh, a simple definition of malt to give to the European Commission. It's been sitting on successfully for three years now. But uh, I think you could say that malt can be made from a number of cereals, but bar- principally barley, and it's uh, changed into malt by steeping it in water for a time, then growing it for about a week, and then drying it with hot air on a kiln so that it looks like barley when it's finished, but uh, it uh, tastes more like a biscuit. What's its role in brewing? It provides the uh, sugar from the starch in the barley is eventually um, trans, uh, transformed into uh, sugar by the enzymes which are developed during malting so that there is a sugar and water solution for yeast to ferment into alcohol. Just roughly how much barley per annum would be uh, produced uh, or converted into malt? Well, the production of malt would be about 140,000 tonnes per annum. And do we in this country satisfy all the home demands for malt required for brewing and distilling? Oh, yes. Our production capacity is such that we can easily supply the demands of the the home trade, and there's also... export trade of approximately 20%. Export to where? All over the world. Our best markets are perhaps in Africa and the United Kingdom, but we have exports to the Caribbean, Philippines, Malaysia, Japan. Well, why would uh, overseas countries want to use Irish malt rather than perhaps their own malt? Is there some quality about it or is it price? Irish malt is, uh, is very good and uh, there is a, a shortage of uh, good malt and barley worldwide so that people who are looking for a premium article uh, would automatically think of coming to Europe and especially uh, to Ireland. So at this stage we've had a look at our four main ingredients, yeast, water, hops and barley. The basic brewing process itself has not changed all that much over the years, or I should say over the centuries. I talked to brewing historian H.S. Curran about the history of brewing. Well, beer originated in the Middle East in, um, oh, about 3,000 to 5,000 BC as far as we know, and uh, it was drunk fairly widely both in Babylon and in Egypt. Um, It spread gradually across Europe from there 
Uh, I believe myself that the Celtic tribes probably brought it into Central Europe um, and it established itself there. Uh, there were obviously uh, it tended to be drunk in those parts of Europe where the, the vine couldn't flourish. In other words, north of the vine line, beer became the um, uh, social national drink of the country is concerned. And, and in Ireland, when would it have first appeared? Well, uh, again, one tends to think that the Celts probably brought it with them. I've no sort of basis for saying this. The earliest uh, reference I know of is a reference in a book called The Shankus Moor, which has a description of malting. And uh, the next reference we have, I think, is Geraldus Cambrensis, who um, described or referred to brewing in Ireland when he was here. We have references in classical authors to the fact that the Celts had developed the art of coopering and made large casks. And this was an integral part of the uh, brewing process in the um, temperate countries. And... Um, uh, the, the Celts, I believe, brought this art across to Britain and Ireland, and uh, that means that it would have been presumably sometime in the thousand years before the birth of Christ. Um, more accurately than that, one can't uh, estimate. Well, now, the number of breweries in Ireland, at any one stage, what would the maximum number of breweries, however small they might have been? Yes, I believe there were as many as 230 in the whole of Ireland at one time, and certainly in the year 1804, uh, which I made a particular study, there were 55 breweries listed in the directory for Dublin alone, and in fact 13 uh, in and around James's Street, which is still the centre of brewing. As H.S. Curran said, brewing flourished in Europe north of the Vine Line. For instance, the history of beer in Switzerland is a very long story, as the director of the Swiss Brewers Association, Martin Verley, told us in Zurich. Brewing is very old in Switzerland. We think that the first brewery on the continent is in Switzerland, in the town of St. Gallen, and it was a brewery in a cloister. In a monastery? Yes, that's right. Monks? Monks. How long ago was that? It was in the 7th century. And how many breweries in Switzerland today? We have now 39 breweries. Are many of those involved in the export trade? No. Uh, Switzerland and Swiss beer is not going out of Switzerland. Our export is very small. So all these breweries produce beer for Swiss consumption only? Yes, that's right. Talk to me about your raw materials. Do you grow your own barley? No, we have no barley in Switzerland. In Switzerland. We are importing it from France and Germany and uh, for the best qualities of uh, England. From England? Yes, from England. Now, what about hops? Where do you get those from? Uh, we have some hops gardens in Switzerland, but very few, and most of hops 
is imported uh, from Czechoslovakia and Germany. And the water in Switzerland, presumably, is good we for We have brewing. our own mountains and very good water. <laughs> Would you have any idea how many people are employed in the business of brewing in this, in, in this country? We have about 4,500 people. And generally speaking, is it all the one kind of beer you produce? Is it all lager? It's a, it's a kind of beer is lager, but we have specialities like uh, luxus beers, special beers, light beers and so on. Is it mostly drunk on draft or in bottle? Uh, mostly in bottles. The draft consumption is about 25%. Is that uh, is draft going down or, or on the increase? No, it's on the increase side. Uh, we had some years ago only 15% and now 25 now, is, would you say that beer is the national drink of Switzerland or is wine the national drink of Switzerland? It's beer, but you have to know that some parts of Switzerland have uh, their own wine and there is wine more popular than beer. Well, um, a young man starting to drink, or, or a young girl for that matter, would they start drinking wine or drinking beer? In the French part of Switzerland, they start to drink wine. And I hope beer also. And in the German part? It's beer. In Germany, I spoke to Dr. Gerstein, a member of the executive board of the Leuvenbrei Brewery in Munich. I asked him first how old his brewery was. Our brewery was founded in 1383, so we are going to have our 600th anniversary coming soon. Just to fill us in about Munich in particular, how many breweries would be operating in Munich? We still have six breweries in Munich. With a population of what? 1.2 million in heavens as Munich. And what would your total production here be in this brewery? Our total production at Lombra is 1.3 million hectoliter. Per annum? Per annum, right. And what percentage approximately of that would you export? We export roughly 25 to 30% per year. To all countries of the world? Yes, we claim that we export to roughly 140 countries. The number employed here? Well, we are... Now having less than a thousand, it's roughly 985. And are you producing just one type of beer or have you a range of beers? We have a wide range of beer. This is very typical for Bavarian breweries. And Lombra has about 12 different ranges of beer. Can you give us some example? I thought, for instance, that uh, most would be a lager type beer. Is that fair to say? That is true. Uh, we just have one top-fermented kind of beer, the so-called Weizenbier, with yeast or without yeast, and that is, uh, counts for more than 10% of our output now. Do you produce a stout? No, not at all. And of your total production here that would be sold uh, in Germany, what percentage would be draft? Roughly 40%. Your raw materials, are they all from within the country? Uh, not all, but uh, may I first say that uh, we as Bavarian Brewery uh, brew according to the so-called purity pledge, which allows us to use only barley malt, hops, 
yeast and water, and uh, most are German raw materials. We import some hops from Czechoslovakia here and then, and sometimes we import some barley from other countries. Well, do you uh, import these the barley and the hops because you can't get enough of your own? Uh, barley, yes. Uh, hops, sometimes we want or we need uh, some uh, some particular uh, or some some particular flavor, and that is uh, the reason why we sometimes uh, import some hops from Czechoslovakia too. We were in a couple of your uh, beer drinking palaces, if I can call them that, last Thank night, you. <laughs> <laughs> and I see that uh, you're still using wooden casks. Yes, in uh, quite a few we are using wooden casks. Uh, most, of course, is sold in aluminium or stainless steel. Stainless steel, excuse me. Uh, but at the forthcoming Oktoberfest, for instance, and in these beer palaces, we still use wooden casks. But why is that? I mean, wooden casks are very much on the way out in the brewing industry in general. Uh, that is true, but uh, consumer expectation in these particular places is still to be served out of wooden casks, and we uh, want, as long as we are able to fulfill the consumer expectation. Would you claim that the quality is as good out of a wooden cask? Uh, yes, it's, there's no difference at all. Although Louvenbrai have quite a range of beers, one of their special beers came as a bit of a surprise to us. Well, one special thing in this context is that we brew a special beer for Lent time, which is not, as you would probably expect, a very light beer, but a very strong beer, because in olden times the monks were not allowed to eat meat during Lent time, and, and we still brew this Lent time beer, which is called Triumphator, and uh, there's many people who drink it daily during Lent time and say that is our springtime cure. <laughs> That's part of their penance, that they have to drink a bottle of it right. each day. Or rather, rather two bottles than one bottle, I would say. <laughs> Germans tend to be fairly noisy drinkers. They bring the whole family, sit around gulping their steins of beer, have a brass band playing oompa-pa music, and everyone joins in and sings. But for all that, we found little sign of drunkenness, and the Bavaria Brewers Association run a joint publicity campaign with the Ministry of Health encouraging moderation in beer drinking. We talked to the Association's General Secretary, Dr. Fritz Schmucker, and I began by asking for a brief history of the brewing industry in Bavaria. The oldest hop garden, for instance, written off in the history books, dates from the year 833. And is that in Bavaria? It's in Bavaria. It's, it's near Munich. And the oldest brewery in our country, still in operation, dates from the year 1040. And how many breweries in the whole of Germany today? In the whole of Germany, we have nearly 1,500 breweries in operation. Separate breweries? Separate breweries. And the total number employed in the brewing industry throughout this country? The total number is about uh, 73,000 people. 
What about uh, trade unions? Do you have uh, a lot of strikes or industrial relations trouble within the industry? No. Well, how do you operate trade unions? Uh, do you have many of them? No, we have only one trade union with, uh, for our uh, for the breweries. Do you mean do you mean one trade union throughout the whole country? It's the same trade union throughout the whole country, but it is divided uh, like the. Uh, do you mean locally into locally in the counties? Into counties. So you would have how many in Bavaria? How many particular branches of the union would you have in Bavaria? The trade union has one branch in Bavaria which deals with the breweries. Dr. Schmucker, um, so many breweries in Bavaria, uh, most of them very small. Are they run traditionally by families? Does it go back far? Oh, yes. Please take uh, as an example my own family. My brother runs the brewery, which is in the possession of our family since 1782. And would that be true of a lot of the other breweries as well? Yes. Now, what about the people who work in these breweries? Uh, would, would that go back traditionally to families as well? Yes. Uh, I know uh, in the brewery of my brother uh, several people which, from which the father and grandfather worked already for so, us. So it's a great tradition being in the brewing industry. So it is, yes. Up in the Bavarian hills, about 30 miles outside Munich, is Andex, a monastery dating back to the 12th century. The Benedictine order who own it operate a brewery there and sell their beer to local pubs. The prior, Pater Daniel, knows no English and we had to talk to him through an interpreter. We wondered if brewing was not a very unusual occupation for Benedictine monks living in a monastery. In Bayern, in Bayern seit, also das älteste ist Weinstefan, wie Sie wissen, als Mädchen. Brewing is a tradition in Bavaria since a thousand years. And in big estates, in larger farmhouses and in monasteries, beer is brewed since about a thousand years. So it's nothing unnatural, nothing strange. And beer is here not considered a drink but is considered liquid bread. Uh, originally, beer was only brewed for the monks and for the pilgrims. This is a place of pilgrimage. Uh, in the course of the centuries, especially in the last century, this has changed, and now the monastery is living from the sale of its beer, essentially. The beer is sold locally and at three pubs in the surroundings. And that's their total market. And that is all what they... The most beer will be fortgefahren. Yeah, but where do you sell it? To Nürnberg, to Augsburg, to München. In the whole environment here. There, where they sell the beer. Only the beer or the fast beer? Yeah, And uh, bottled beer is sold in up to northern Bavaria, to and many places. And is the beer bottled here in the brewery? Ob das Bier hier in Flaschen abgefüllt wird? Yes, there's a modern bottling factory down there. 
So, the monastery sells its beer to local pubs, pubs, incidentally, which they don't own. Some brewers, like Beamish and Crawford and Cork, still own some pubs, but as Dick Walsh of this Cork brewery says, the Tidehouse system is on the way out. But how did the Tidehouse system start? I'm afraid I can't answer that question. I would think that it probably evolved, that they were acquired by the breweries as positive outlets for their products in the Cork area. Uh, the feature was that the tenant or leaseholder who held from the brewery were bound by their agreement to purchase all their requirements, all their liquid requirements from the brewery. And now it's going out of fashion to have tied houses. What's, what's happened in the meantime? I suppose people became more independent and looked for more choice, greater choice of, of beers in the pubs and... Um, the breweries, as well as that, the Cork breweries became more inter- more nationally, national coverage, national marketing, and became less dependent on the local trade. Another facet of the brewing industry. But looking on the brewing industry as a whole, how important is it to this country? Financial Director of Guinness Ireland, Harry Byrne, gave us some figures. First, how many people are employed in it? The industry itself employs approximately 5,000 people. They would be the people working directly in the various breweries. But, of course, there's a lot of associated employment given by the industry, the people who grow the barley right through to the people who serve the pint over the counter. And our estimate of that would be approximately 50,000 people. Money paid to the government in duty by the brewing industry in Ireland, per annum, how much? Quite substantial, hundred million pounds, just over a hundred million pounds per annum. And to bring us down to earth about that, if I pay, say, 50p for a pint of stout or beer in a pub, how much of that goes to the government? Well, just over 40%. You can think of it as just over 20p on your 50p pint. How do we rate, uh, or do we produce a lot for export as, as an industry? Yes, we do. Um, the Irish economy is, of course, quite small in world terms, but our beer exports are one of our success stories, and we export approximately one-third of our total production. And perhaps to give you a a figure which might mean a bit more, that's uh, nearly a million pints a day. I asked Harry Byrne if he could summarise the effect the brewing industry has had in our economy. Well, I think perhaps its most significant effect is that at a very early stage in the development of this country, the Irish brewers showed that there was an opportunity to use Irish raw materials. We're an agriculturally-based economy. That's our strength. We have the raw materials, and the Irish brewers showed that they could produce a product which not only met the home demand, but has been accepted throughout the world. That, I think, is a lesson that other sectors could learn from, perhaps the cattle industry, for example, where we seem to have quite a long way to go. And I think if I was to sum it up, That would be, I think, the main contribution which we would claim to have made to the Irish economy. The director in charge of distribution at Guinness Ireland Limited, Harry Hannan, points out another way in which the brewing industry has helped stimulate the Irish economy. Yes, Guinness always took the view that it had to develop handling and transport methods. Rather than wait for transport companies to come to us and market it to us, we always had professionals working out what was best. And I think we can modestly claim we had something to do with changes in the National Transport Company, for example, CIE, to whom we pay two million plus per annum. There, the concept of the unit load and uh, 
cutting out manual handling that was developed by us in the early 60s and now been brought to, to a high art. In fact, all our country deliveries are done by CIE. Tony Halpin is Managing Director of the Beamish and Crawford Brewery in Cork. I asked him to give us a few details of his company's operations. Well, the employment uh, level is usually in or around the 350 mark. And your range of products? Range of products uh, are... We're, we're basically a bright beer brewery. We, we sell three lagers, an ale and a stout. We have Carling Lager, Carlsberg Export Lager, Tuborg Lager, Bass Ale and, of course, Beamish Stout. And are all of these products available on the home market? All of these products... Nationally? Yes, all of these products are available nationally on the home market. Clearly, because we're a Munster-based brewery, our main concentration is in Munster, but we... Um, are also available nationally and our greater uh, area, if you like, besides Munster, would be the East Coast. And what is the Beamish and Crawford share of the home market? Tony Halpin. It's very difficult to give you total share. I would say that we probably are in the area of about 8% of the total market. But it's in very difficult. The diff- total beer market. In the total beer market. Does that include stout? Oh, it would, yes. And you see, this is where you have to differentiate because. The total uh, market is very, very heavily slanted in favour of stout. And when you talk stout in Ireland, on a national scale, clearly there, there is one massive stout supplier whose name I shan't mention. But um, if you go back to the comment I made earlier about being a bright beer brewery, our real strength is in lagers. Do you see new products coming up? Yes. Can you talk to us about them? No. I suppose at the end of the day, all brewers want to know the answer to the important question, what makes a good pint? Managing Director of Murphy's Brewery in Cork, Michael Long, gave us his views on this. Well, basically, I think the stout pint drinker uh, is looking for what I would describe as emotional satisfaction. Uh, He regards his pint as being something more than a drink. It is a way of life. It's almost a religion. He likes to get total satisfaction emotionally as well as, as far as the drink is concerned, from his pint. And how do you rate things like flavour and appearance? Well, I think uh, in today's world there are at least three major ingredients. Firstly, flavour, and I think that uh, this is probably one of the most important factors. Secondly, the visual appeal, the appetising appeal of a pint. And in Ireland, this is typified by a white, creamy head. The third uh, aspect, of course, is temperature, and the uh, tradition of drinking warm pints has changed over the years. People generally like a cold pint.